When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Looking for a way to make online learning a better option for your family? When it comes to virtual learning, experience matters. Tuition-free K-12-powered schools are ready to put over 20 years of experience to work for you, giving your child the personalized learning they deserve without disruptions. With a K-12-powered school, students gain the skills they need to be prepared for their next steps in life, building a better future for each one of us. K-12, education for any one. Learn more at k12.com. Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 213 of the No Encore Music Podcast. It's a sunny Thursday, the 14th of May, and I'm in my house. Craig Fitzpatrick, where are you? I'm in my bedroom. The curtains are drawn. <laughs> um, antisocial and yet social. So it's all good. I spent a bit of my working day out in the sunshine. Um, I, I, do you know what the, the problem is? I feel we've had such good weather. I'm, I'm constantly feeling obliged to be out in it like getting the sun, making the most of it. So I've tried on occasion to kind of bring the laptop outside, but of course then you can't see the laptop and it's just frustrating and deeply, deeply irritating. So I go back inside. So there's a few stop start abandonment things there today. I mean, not to sound too much of a pro-capitalism kind of guy, Craig, but you're obliged to your job, I think. I think that's what you're obliged to oh, do. Oh yeah, yeah, I recognised <laughs> that and went back indoors where I could fully see the screen of the capitalism that I was producing. <laughs> Okay, on this episode of No Encore, we will be producing the very worst in lyrical content. Our top five this week centres on worst lyrics. I got tons and tons of shouts over on Twitter at Hanrity Dave. And uh, yeah, it's been a fucking tough one yet again to get it down to five. I'm sure it was the same for you, but uh, that's going to be an interesting yeah. one later in the show. Um, it's been a couple of 
dry weeks in terms of albums being released. And because Craig and I couldn't decide this week what we wanted to cover, I wanted to cover the new Hayley Williams album. You wanted to cover the new Kalani album. And so we decided, mm-hmm. let's split the difference. And let's review the brand new Now That's What I Call Music record, number 105, out in all good shops now, I believe. <clears throat> we saw it on the release order and we're like, yeah, I think that was both of our first thoughts of like, what? This is still a thing? Because um, I, I remember there was news stories around when it hit 100 and all of them seemed to be like, well, it's the end of an era. I just assumed it kind of quietly faded away after that. But no, it's still very much a thing. Um, it was like over 40 tracks. We've listened to them all for your listening pleasure. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into that. I was reading as well some kind of supplementary um, literature about the kind of the making of the now compilations and blah, blah, blah. So I actually think I have some insights into the kind of bewildering process of putting this compilation together because there was a lot of question marks. We'll we'll talk about it. I'm excited for the education, Craig. Also, I want to say a huge (laughs) shout out to everyone who signed up to our Patreon page so far. It's patreon.com slash noencore if you want to throw us the price of a pint or more. That's up to you, but we'd love to have you on board. Thank you to people who signed up this week. Thank you to people who sent us messages as well, kind of saying stuff like, oh, like, appreciate you guys being part of our Friday routine and uh, a bit of distraction from the crazy world that we live in. So it's nice. It's nice to, to get that kind of feedback. And thank you very, very much to very much so. all listeners of the show for not abandoning us in our time of need. Because we're all in a time of need, Craig. It's time for the news. And yet again, unfortunately, there's been a major death this death week. Death notices. <laughs> death notices. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, we can't not do it. But like, especially because last Friday, one of the greatest names in music, one of the most influential people ever, Little Richard, passed away at the age of 87. The rock and roll original who has been known, of course, for his crazy flamboyant style crazy charisma like like this kind of pro wrestling electricity that kind of ran through the guy's veins once again you only <laughs> was, have to look I wouldn't to, have gone to wrestling but you always do that's what I do it's, <laughs> that's uh, that's what you're getting with me you're getting wrestling references thrown into <laughs> IRL situations um yeah people obviously very upset um their legacy is huge i feel like it's been a weird week. It's been a weird kind of month. It's been a weird kind of few months now for major personalities passing away. I've got this weird relationship with death in as much as I'm kind of like, right, <laughs> you know, it's obviously very sad news. And I'm not meaning to pull away from that whatsoever. But, you know, 87, <laughs> like, changed music. I mean, he had, yeah, had a good run, Yeah, you would say. Um, yeah, like, he seemed like one of those figures where, because he predated so many already, like, iconic and legendary figures that have also passed, you kind of think, like, oh, he's, like, he's still around. Like, fair play, brilliant. It's it's good he's still in the world. Um, and, yeah, 87's a great run. Like, you you know, when we talked last week about the likes of Tony Allen, um, I, I was a bit of a fan of Tony Allen. Obviously, a very different generation. And this is, like, a generation removed again. So, I don't know, like, I won't speak for you, but I can't really... Um, comment too much on the kind of content of, of his music because when I was hearing uh, songs like Tutti Fruity, Long Tall Sally, they had already been used as a template for kind of, I guess, more progressive stuff. Do you know what I mean? It was so influential that the moment had already very much passed and I can't, I, I could never really listen to his stuff with fresh ears. Um, but yeah, I mean, people have been talking this week about him as like kind of almost like proto-prince, which probably does him a disservice because, you know, he was, there's only one little Richard. He influenced everyone. I think it was really telling how many, you know, legendary figures came out and like pay tribute. Bob Dylan, who apparently is releasing a new album pretty soon. He's like back on Twitter. And like clearly it's his team running it most of the time. But there was this really rare occasion where he ha- clearly had a heartfelt message about the impact of Little Richard. And he was like tweeting it out uh, in his own words. And it was like, OK, you know, it's a kind of big deal when Bob Dylan breaks the silence and takes to Twitter. 
Of all places. I mean, I kind of feel like I should be like, no, Bob, no, this is this is one of those modern things that you <laughs> yeah. should steer clear of. Uh, yeah, I'm the same. I mean, I, I can't turn around here and pretend that I throw on Little Richard because I don't. I mean, a friend of mine, big into him, so I've kind of lived vicariously through his enjoyment of the man. I'll also be brutally honest, I kind of thought he was already dead. Uh, these <laughs> things come along every now and then and you're like, like Jack Palance. Remember Jack Palance, the guy from fucking yeah. City Slickers? I remember when Jack Palance died and I was like, no, no, no. Someone's playing a trick on me here. He died years ago. <laughs> like Vern yeah, Troyer was yeah. the one. I was like, no, definitely long dead. Uh, yeah, I was I, I was shocked to see Little Richard died. And then I was shocked to see Little Richard died because it was like, okay. But no, I think it's, it is. It's a fitting tribute in as much as like everything we listen to today, much like Kraftwerk, much like other artists that we've talked about who we may not be our go-tos on Spotify. Um, you know, I can't really get past the avalanche of new metal that I have in front of me every day, Craig. Uh, essentially... Everything it's that we distracting. everything that we like has you know these guys have had a hand in it and I mean there's also some other deaths in this week as well there was Betty Gilbert there was Brian Howe the singer of Bad Company so it is one of those things where you're seeing more and more uh, older kind of members of the music scene or you know even like not 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 like in the twilight of their life or anything are going down and it's it's a difficult thing to reckon with for some people again I do think that in situations like this one legacy is the word to kind of cling to and you've got so much available yeah. to you and like again. If I lived for 87 years of age and I was a madman and I changed music itself, <laughs> I think it's a pretty fucking good innings, you know? If, if, Dave. <laughs> yeah, there's still time. When? <laughs> like, on a brighter note, um, uh, Brian May is still very much with us, thankfully. But uh, we talked about Brian May saying that there'd be no Bohemian Rhapsody sequel last week. And we just missed the breaking news that he has unfortunately been hospitalised, but he's grand. But the headlines, oh my God, we were kicking ourselves. Brian May was hospitalised after injuring buttocks in over-enthusiastic gardening incident. It's like the most spinal tap ever. My favourite headline was shredded his glutes. And it was like, okay, yeah, Jeez. this happened. Like, like, <laughs> like he shreds his guitar. Day, is the, was that what they were going for? <laughs> the day after the podcast, like hours after the podcast. And I was just like, why even bother? <laughs> I was like, why yeah. even bother like doing a show if I have to wait an entire week to talk about Brian May nearly dying in a bizarre gardening accident. But uh, the death machine continues, Craig, this time festivals and many of them down, down and down. Electric picnic, gone. Uh, Primavera, gone for this year. Um, I mean, the electric picnic thing was just confirmation, really, of what we all knew was going to happen. Um, officially cancelled for 2020. Um, it's become unavoidable, um, the festival said in a statement on the website, and that they fully support the Irish government's ongoing measures to help fight the spread of COVID-19 and protect lives at this time. Um, far cry, obviously, from... The defiant words of um, principal organiser Melvin Ben, who was saying, you know, a couple of months ago, I think from June onwards, we'll definitely be over the hump of uh, of it all, in my view. I'm not a scientist, but blah, 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 blah. Um, and then he fecked off back to England. Uh, Primavera, of course, which I was going to go to, and then was definitely not going to e go to even if it was happening, because it's just very much too soon. I can't even kind of contemplate being amongst those kind of um, close crowds at the moment. And yeah, um, cancelled till next year um and it becomes that if you know they return i, I, I presume you know an electric picnic and uh primavera so huge that they should be fine but i'd imagine a lot of festivals that are gone this summer will be gone for good right are you holding on to your tickets for next year are you getting a refund what, what's your plan I haven't, I haven't looked into it. Um, I haven't had a chance this week, but I will probably get a refund because I'm sure if it's happening next year, tickets won't be that hard to come by. So 
<laughs> uh, yeah, uh, you don't know what the lineup's going to be as well. Uh, like, obviously, everyone that was hoping to play this summer will need to tour for their own financial reasons. So you'd assume there'll be a lot of replications, but you don't know what's going to happen. So, yeah, I think I'll probably get the money back and see what the lay of the land is. That was Monday, and on Tuesday, Reading yeah. and Leeds followed suit, another festival, pretty much the exact same. Like, it's such a blanket situation. I mean, I'm even, I'm even seeing now on Twitter, the National have postponed their North American tour, etc. Like, every day, like, th- I find myself kind of surprised that I'm like, really? Like, these like these weren't already done, or it should kind of be taken as read? Um, yeah, it's a disaster. It's an absolute disaster for the music industry itself. I mean, I should say that, um, you know, listen, I, I, I give Dave Grohl some stick on this show, because I'm not really a big fan. <laughs> Too far I was shocked guy. to see this in a running order. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, with one hand I take away and the other I give, Craig. Dave Grohl yes. wrote a very, very nice piece this week in The Atlantic called The Day the Live Concert Returns. Um, obviously from his perspective of being both a fan who goes to gigs and a performer who plays in front of thousands of people on the regular and how it has kind of obviously shattered his world and it shattered the world of everybody who loves going to gigs. Now, okay, so here's where I'm kind of conflicted further beyond my Dave Grohl bashing. And don't get me wrong, I kind of feel like the Dave Grohl thing is like, he can take it. He's the nicest guy in rock. I don't actually have anything crazy bad about him. I just don't really like the Foo Fighters. I think they're a bit generic. Uh, not the biggest crime in the world. And uh, yeah, seems like yeah. a good dude. But like, okay, so here's the thing, right? Because we didn't talk about this a couple of weeks ago when we were speculating about Picnic or whatever festival had cancelled that week. I think it was some other one, Forbidden Fruit maybe, or one of them. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to preface this by saying that, first of all, I mean, I, I have genuine sympathy and empathy with everybody who is affected by the cancellation of gigs, festivals, and the live music experience at the moment. I mean, like, it's far-stretching. Um, obviously, major names, like huge names around the world, that's how you make your money anyway. Like, like it's merch and touring, that's how you make your cash. Uh, unless you happen to have signed some magical deal years and years ago that is still paying you for records. It's it's huge, huge, huge uh, hugely problematic for everybody. Um, we have mm-hmm. friends, of course, independent Irish musicians who are affected as well, uh, and of course, people who run festivals. Like I, I think particularly of the likes of Jenny Wren and Avril Stanley from Body and Soul, who split off from Picnic this year to try and become their own entity again. It's a particularly bad time for them and for any kind of independent festival. The likes of Electric Picnic are going to be okay, you would imagine. And here's the thing, right? I really don't want to upset people, but. Electric Picnic fucking sucks, okay? And, <laughs> like, it's good riddance, you know, because it's garbage. And, uh, like, I never, ever want to go back there. It's become an absolute horror show. Uh, I don't really understand people who are, like, devastated by this to some degree. Because I'm just like, listen, it's it's become this gross nightmare of a thing. Uh, increasingly corporate and mini Glastonbury and just like pack them all in as much as you can and get as much money out of people as you possibly can and who gives a shit who's headlining or who's on the fucking bill even the Irish artists that play there like a lot of them get really really bad slots and get paid fuck all I mean don't get me wrong it's it's what you need you need the lifeblood of exposure and you need the lifeblood of being able to say I'm playing Electric Picnic but I, and I'm not someone who like was there in 2004 when it started the first time I ever went would have been you know, back in the hot press days with you where we went for around what like 2011 2012 2013 2014 that kind of time and i found it to be grand some of those days were incredibly stressful which wasn't necessarily the festival's fault more the job that we were in but ultimately especially the last couple of years that i've had to go i just find it to be horrific and don't get me wrong yeah there's absolutely an element here of like i've gotten a bit too old for it perhaps but at the same time it's just a fucking hellhole and like i'm not in any way sad about this and there's an awful lot of people out there 
fucking melodramatic performative bollocks on Twitter being like, oh, I'm just so devastated, like my identity. And it's like, you're the same person I see in the fucking, uh, same person I see in the fucking VIP area not watching the fucking band. Not watching any music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the atmosphere, man, the atmosphere. Yeah. <laughs> the wonder of the lecky, You dangerously close. You're veering dangerously close to a, a kind of a live music is healing <laughs> statements there. Well, it'll all be better. <laughs> the natural order will be restored. <laughs> it's like I think what it comes down to is this, right? Uh, maybe controversial for a music podcast, so as to say, but I don't really miss gigs at the moment. Uh, I'm very, very lucky. I feel very, very fortunate that this year before the world shut down, uh, I got to see Slipknot on Three Arena. I got to see Explosions in the Sky in Vicar Street, and I got to see Lankham in Vicar Street. They were three of the best gigs I've been to in a very, very long time. But by the time I found myself at the 1975 and Three Arena, I was kind of done. Now a lot of that is me and the kind of mindset I've been in for a little while. But at the same time, it's like it's fine. I, like I, I'm not clamoring for the return of gigs. And also, like what what really fucking shocks me is the announcement of Picnic and people being devastated. And I'm like. Were you really going to fucking go? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I can I can hold off on gigs for a while. Uh, I do miss them. Um, obviously, the main thing is the kind of the potential collapse of an industry. Um, but am I going to miss, you know, Bonnie Tyler packing them in at the fucking Electric Garland <laughs> space? No. Um, I don't think we're going to be packing them in for, for quite a while. Did you see those Live Nation um, kind of regulations they're bringing in as well in the States where it's just seems very dystopian, uh, you know, empty rows between rows, uh, cordoned off areas. So, yeah, yeah, things are definitely going to change, maybe for the better in some cases. But, yeah, it's 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 tough to handle at the moment. Let's go on to lighter fare. Let's, let, before we do that, let me just wrap up by saying that like, the gig is a fucking awesome thing. It's an incredible, live experience is yes. amazing. It depends on a lot of circumstances, but they can also be overwhelming spaces for people as well. And I think in some cases, Picnic in particular, there is an argument that like, maybe you need to have a bit of a refresh here and it should be about something a bit fucking grander than just ticket sales and bodies. That's kind of what, ticks me off a bit. I I kind of feel like a lot of the sentiment towards Picnic at this stage is not actually reflective of the experience that they offer. And I will say, I'll close by going back to our good friend Dave Grohl, because like I say, it is a genuinely good piece and it did kind of make me go, okay, yeah, I mean, you're right, for sure. And I'll what I'll do here, Craig, is right to just to set the balance of this one, I will read out his closing statement of this little here piece that he put together, okay? So Dave Grohl says... In today's world of fear and unease and social distancing, it's hard to imagine sharing experiences like these ever again. I don't know when it will be safe to return to singing arm in arm at the top of our lungs, hearts racing, bodies moving, souls bursting with life. But I do know that we will do it again because we have to. It's not a choice. We're human. We need moments that reassure us that we're not alone, that we are understood, that we are imperfect. And most important, that we need each other. I've shared my music, my words, my life with the people who come to our shows and they have shared their voices with me. Without that audience, that screaming, sweating audience, my songs would only be sound. But together, we are instruments in a sonic cathedral, one that we build together night after night, and one that we will surely build again. And I'll be right there down the front, Dave. I'll be right there, (laughs) screaming along to times like these, and we'll meet in the middle, my friend. Uh, very, very nice. Um, you know, maybe when gigs return, Dave, you're you're more kind of a more fitting setting for you might be the relaxed kind of live entertainment environment of a hotel function room. Um, you know, somewhere down in Ross Gray, the the kind of normal um, stomping grounds of the likes of Dickie Rock and Johnny Logan. Legends, two legends at war. Legends boat at loggerheads. Um, 
Yeah, so we had singer Dickie Rock baying for blood, um, ready to take on Johnny Logan, Eurovision winner, of course, and give him a fecking box. We had Liveline as the setting, the platform. Joe was ready to go. And then it kind of fizzled out, right? Um, we were both listening in to Liveline during the week, ready for action. And Johnny Logan, um, <laughs> Johnny Logan just... I mean, you know, if you come at Dickie Rock, you best best not miss. Johnny Logan saw what was going to happen and just apologised for... Well, you can say it, Craig. He folded like a fucking table tennis table. <laughs> it was embarrassing. Yeah, this all stemmed from an interview that Johnny Logan gave over the weekend, or to Roshi Ningle, I believe. Uh, and he yeah. said, you know, <clears throat> he said, well, Dickie Rock's a legend in his own in his own brain. He hasn't done what I've done, etc. Dickie Rock apparently went apoplectic, threatened murder. And that's what we woke up to on Monday morning, a blood feud. I was just like, what the hell is this? this you think the pandemic can't get worse and weirder. Here we go. And yeah, tuned into Joe Duffy because there was teasing that like he was going to get them on the phone and have it out. And you know what that show is like at the best of times. So I was like, this is going to be absolute gold. <laughs> and in the end, Joe Duffy was just like withering, like more so than usual. And then was a case of, yeah, that's a really bad it. Um, we've, we've some randomers on the phone who are fans of Bo talking about the situation. We'll try and get Johnny Logan on the phone. Never happened. Eventually, they got a statement issued, and then that was that. That was it. I think someone intervened along the way. Well, Joe, Joe kind of intervened really to basically like squash this beef immediately. And of course, fucking Johnny Logan not only like cowered by like stopping it immediately and just backing off. He also did the classic bullshit thing of blaming the journalist. We said that Roshi Ingle took things out oh, of context. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When she absolutely did not. Uh, yeah, a, a, a real like terrible, terrible shame. The quotes were, were like plainly there for all to see, even kind of if you took certain senses out of context, they were, you know, Logan said he was joking. They were pretty nasty jokes, like, <laughs> yeah, like none of these were kind of tongue in cheek. They were kind of disparaging towards his career. They were comparing like yeah, if what they've done achievement wise, what kind of, you know, world class venues they've played, who they've performed for um, or in front of. And it's just Johnny Logan came off like a total twat in this regard. Talking about like an 82-year-old dude uh, who's still doing it um, when he's allowed by the government. Um, And yeah, it was just a bizarre move from Logan. I don't know what his beef is. I don't know what was rankling him. I think the yeah, fact that he was, uh, you know, he's seen Electropatnik shutting down, he's seen that Electric Ireland money disappear. The man's out for blood, Craig, and sadly, no major <laughs> blood was spilled. But let's say it came down to it, by the way. I believe Logan is, what, 67? Dickie Rock's 82? Who's winning that scrap? Um, I feel like Dickie has more fight in him, to be quite honest. And I feel like he might get some intervention from fellow kind of crooners. Like, you, you might get Wee Daniel arriving in with a chair shot. Red Hurley probably get involved. I can't see Logan, Logan to be like more concerned with like, you know, not the face, not the face. He mm-hmm. folds straight yeah. away. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Dickie all the way. I absolutely would not fuck with the show band lads. No way. They they, they know <laughs> things. They've seen things. They've seen things. <laughs> so uh, in other news, Craig, it turns out Brian Adams, the Canadian Springsteen, I'm told, is problematic. Did you, did you see that one coming, did you? Yeah. <laughs> you would have thought at this stage his biggest problem was being associated with the name Ryan Adams and, you know some point but no he's he's given it given it a go himself um so he was on stage he was due to start a concert residency at the royal albert hall uh london that was cancelled obviously due to the outbreak um so he did an acoustic performance on instagram and alongside it he wrote the statement where he was talking about how tonight was supposed to be the beginning of uh tennessee of gigs at the royal albert hall 
But thanks to some fucking bad-eating, wet-market animal-selling, virus-making, greedy bastards, the whole world is now on hold. Blah, blah, blah. Went on. My message to them, other than thanks a fucking lot, is go vegan. Um, so this was like conflating a huge amount of theories about the origins of the virus, um, whether it was transmitted via people eating bats, this kind of wet-market wet talk. We're not sure for certain, but obviously the connotations are there quite plain um you have to be very careful about what you're saying about kind of chinese customs and what's going on we don't know anything i guess that he was probably you know as a vegan saying look look at the wider picture eating animals at this point in time really is of no great benefit um but what a way to word it yeah like particularly when it's not just like him on stage or something and just coming out with something and then immediately regretting it, but to, to actually word it in such a way and like post it on Instagram. Less than 24 hours later, though, the inevitable update. Apologies to anyone and all that took offence to my posting yesterday. No excuse. I just wanted to have a rant about the horrible animal cruelty in these wet markets being the possible source of the virus and promote veganism. I have love for all people and my thoughts are with everyone dealing with this pandemic around the world, writes the statement from Brian Adams' publicist, who presumably had him on the phone being like, come on... Please. Yeah, in fairness, it's it's the kind of statement I wish Morrissey came out with about 10 years ago and just nipped everything in the bud. <laughs> but um, fair play to him. I, I kind of know where he's coming from, right? Brian Adams. Right, right. Like, yeah. Do you? Do you want to clarify this? In terms, like, as a, as a veganist stance, like, talking in general about, you know, the way certain animals are treated and how it doesn't going to end well. Um, But yeah, I mean... It's not, it's not the issue we need to be discussing at the moment, really. We need to come together, Dave. Wow. Brian Adams sympathiser, Craig Fitzpatrick. I did not think that this <laughs> okay, is how this would go, but fair enough, Craig. And finally this week, uh, some really good news. Bono is still alive and he's 60 years of age, Craig. He celebrated his birthday there last yeah. weekend. And you know what? There was a kind of outpouring of love for Bono and I was, I was kind of happy to see it, to be quite honest. Particularly when you put like in the context of the likes of Johnny Logan yapping off and trying to big themselves up and like, you know, his fans ringing into Joe Duffy and saying he's an iconic, you know, he's up there with Elvis. Bono can be annoying, but at least like the man has talent and he seems like a good dude. So happy birthday belatedly to Bono, first of all. Um, and a bit like Jesus, he's giving us gifts for for his birthday. In the form of 60 songs that saved his life, including one by yeah. Inhaler, his son's band. <laughs> of course. And also quite a number of featuring Bono tracks, <laughs> which was like, okay, why not? <laughs> it's a smooth I think the first one is that Pavarotti song he did. Yeah, yeah. He's also writing like kind of um, postcards or at least virtual postcards to the artists. Um I guess if they're still with us, some of them probably to their estate or their family or friends or whatever. But yeah, he's writing kind of notes um, to talk about what exactly the songs mean to him. What did you make of the list overall? Uh, confusing. Uh, he said that there are some of the songs to save his <laughs> life, as I noticed. He said that the ones I couldn't have lived without, the ones that got me from there to here, zero to 60, through all the scrapes, all manner of nuisance, from the serious to the silly and the joy, mostly joy. I should also note, by the way, that uh, despite including his son's band in here, for obvious reasons, I've interviewed Inhaler a couple of times. They're very nice young men, so that should be on the record from me. Happy to say it, Bono. Sponsor of the show, Chief. Uh, as regards for his uh, choices, one of them jumped out for sure. <sighs> Get Lucky by Daft Punk featuring Nile Rodgers and Pharrell Williams, really? Like, it, we, we have to put this in here. This has to be a thing. It has you know, to be I a still think it's a bit of a tune, right? Oh, you but love it. You I fucking adore this song. Don't even pretend. Yeah, I mean, it's overplayed to death. I never really need to hear it again at this point. But yeah, <laughs> I liked it to begin with. It's a very safe fucking disco song, obviously. 
Um, I thought this was very... A lot of these choices were quite obvious. You'll often hear Bono, like when he rocks up in interviews, name-checking kind of current bands and like pop singles and stuff. And you always think he's just paying lip service. I don't know if he's still doing that here or he's just got really kind of banal, obvious taste. What was he said in... There's was stuff it like- on here... 2000 and was 2005 2006 he, he was like Franz Ferdinand here I might as well retire it's over <laughs> like yeah like uh, uh, yeah around about 2006 he was talking about um the pope at the time I think it was the evil pope <laughs> not that he, I don't know if he's evil but Ratzinger he looked evil but he was saying like rock and rolls to devil's music basically banning it in the Vatican and uh, Bono was asked about it, and he's like, "Oh yeah, if I meet if I meet him, I'll have to have some words with him there and say rock and roll's brilliant, and I'll give him a copy of the Strokes' new album." <laughs> it's like, "Come on, Bono, what are you doing?" It was their third album as well. So like, give them, give him is this it? Maybe. So um, he's put out these tweets, yeah, like, and yeah, like it, it's, yeah. it's against parchment paper. He said, uh, Dear not daft but very punk spacemen, Thomas and Guy Manuel, who push the envelope on your stroboscopic sounds, but also look for discipline in the songwriting. Students of song and dance, but also students of producer arrangers like Giorgio Moroder. And then you give him his place in your spotlight. Spacemen and Earthmen. Yes. Bono. Dear Pharrell, you are a reason to believe in what's possible. You are a reason to believe in the impossible. Mandela said, it always seems impossible until it is done. A song like this shouldn't be, but it is. Hallelujah. Bono. Dear Niall, you have been the holy host of some of my favourite songs ever. A prophetic figure. You didn't have much of a family, so you wrote We Are Family. You weren't having good times, so you wrote Good Times. You wrote songs so you could be in them, and that light touch is never better than on this one. You were across a few of my favourite songs ever. Thank you. How could I not be a fan of this collaboration? Bono. Someone uh, tweeted at me during the week saying, this is complete bollocks. Nile Rogers is very close to his family. What is he talking about? (laughs) I was going to ask, right? Because when I saw that, like, like of that whole kind of message, I actually quite liked the line about, like, you wrote songs so you could be in them. Like, it's a nice sentiment. But I was like, does he know? Like, he's kind of presuming quite a lot about Niall Rogers' life. I guess they're, like, great mates and he knows he kind of struggled. And But apparently that wasn't the case, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it's a perfect example of what Bono's been at lyrically for years right because like I do quite like that kind of one line but you've got all this faff around it where he's just like wildly hyperbolic and going for like universal statements and yeah like when when you see the new radicals get what you give on that list you so it suddenly dawns on you that, that since like about all that you can't leave behind he's just been trying to rewrite that song by new <laughs> radicals lyrically that's like Jesus Christ Craig, we danced at Cullum's wedding to that song. It was awesome. I know, I know. It's a tune, but like, come on, really? Should you two be trying to write what's essentially kind of a life-affirming novelty song? (laughs) Who knows? It might even pop up in worse lyrics later on. But for now, we pivot to our album review. And it is, in fact, now that's what I call music. Take it away, an Ed Sheeran song from approximately 10 months ago. I love her hips, curves, lips say the words. See my mommy, see my mommy, I kiss her. This love is like a dream. So join me in this bed. I'm in, push up on me and sweat, darling. So I'm gonna put my time in. I won't stop until the angels sing. Don't in that water, be free. Come south of the border with me. Don't in that water, be free. Yep, that's uh, 
Edward Sheeran there with a song that came out on the 12th of July 2019. Not one of the better birthday presents I've ever been given, I'll tell you that. It's called South of the Border. It's from his number six collaborations project. It features Camille Cabello and Cardi B, who accuses Ed pointedly of having, quote, a little jungle fever. Uh, And he appears to be stepping into all kinds of strange, uh, exotic territory that I'm not too sure that he really belongs in on a track that is uh, like every Ed Sheeran track you've ever heard, but this time with a bit of a Calypso swing. And inexplicably, Craig, it's on this compilation that has just come out. What the fuck is happening? Yeah, so I, I don't quite know. There's This isn't by any means the oldest song uh, on this compilation, right? So there's some kind of resurgent numbers. There's like remixes. There's ones that have just like are probably there because they've got popularity due to like TikTok, which is obviously a, a big kind of driving factor at the moment of old songs kind of coming back to the forefront. This is clearly just slightly out of time and was like a pick that they had on the shortlist. And then I guess logistically they had to include it. Um, but yeah, like, so I was looking at um, this article by Tom Lamont of The Guardian that he did for the 100th edition. And he kind of went to Sony offices in London and the pretty small team of like, I think it's three or four people that decide on the track listing of every um, now compilation. There's three of them a year. And it seems, I thought it was it was going to be a very like algorithmic, um, cold and dispassionate selection process at this point. But no, it's not. It's like... There's a lot of kind of like weird voodoo magic and suspicion and kind of like um, trying to gauge what's going to be a hit in like for whatever season it is and trying to get the, a big part of it is trying to get the artists to sign off on it. Um, so that point, like what struck me about this is that Ed Sheeran was called out by name in this article a couple of years ago as someone that denied one of his songs during the 100th edition and is kind of known to be a bit prickly about it. Apparently Rihanna is always just like her people are like, no, don't include me because then people mightn't buy my album. So it really goes down to the wire of like what songs they can actually include. Um, and they're trying to gauge as well, as I said, kind of what will be big. It's not just a case of like what's doing the biggest numbers. It's an odd selection process and it, it you can tell from the track list. But it's really strange because like this is now that's what I call music 105, which would imply yeah. that the Ed Sheeran song here, there hasn't been one since. There was one in like October, now 104. So where does it end? Like what kind of weird semantic game are they playing? I, I don't really understand. Because I, I would imagine, as you said, like the kind of Tropicalia swing in this, they were like, well, okay, this one is being released in the summertime. So will this get a bit of a boost based on like Cardi B being on it and then other, having other songs around it? Like they're they're trying to read into like the fucking currents and kind of push and pull of like public opinion. And yeah, it's it's a weird one. I think they missed the mark quite a bit, but they seem dedicated. I mean, they talk in the article about, you know, how they're a bit redundant now with Spotify and playlists, which is like, yeah, of course they are. And exactly, your man, yeah, the kind of head guy, who's like, like seems like a really nice kind of softly spoken dude in his 50s that's been doing it forever and has like a party trick where if you give like your date of birth, he can tell you like what now album you got because everyone apparently gets one when they're like nine or 10 as their first album. Um, but he's like kind of say, well, you know, we're, we're, cre- we're curators. We're there to kind of be gatekeepers and, um, supply people with new tunes. I don't know if that stands up in terms of what they're putting out. I think it's kind of done. I mean, yeah, that's a nice thought and it is kind of a nice tradition in that regard and, I, and I'm and i sure you were the same. I mean, I, I, I got a couple of them back in the day. I remember I had one with like a... Uh, 
what was that like feelers the tamper featuring maya that one that was huge around the time so this was yeah. like, 98 yeah. or something like and there was a bunch of belters on them i think i got like a, an american tape cassette of like now two or you know when they brought it over there so they can be kind of cool keepsake things and they definitely had relevance for a time but i think it's especially indicative with this where if you go to look it up on spotify it's just a fucking playlist <laughs> like it doesn't even have its own you know, and thing. before this thing, before it even came out, obviously the like the track listing was released, so someone that isn't connected to now could just pull it together because all the tracks are out. So it's like immediately redundant as soon as they release the track listing. Um, yeah, now thirty two, by the way, was my first now album, um, which was nineteen ninety five. I've I've pulled up the track listing. It it opened with Queen's Heaven for Everyone, which was like a posthumous, really crappy song. Uh, Meatloaf, I'd Lie For You and That's The Truth, Simply Red. Your favourite. then it got kind of good. Then it got kind of good. You had U2's Hold Me, Trill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me. Banger. You had Golden Eye. Oh, oh shit, that film was out. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a year. Ra- Radiohead, Pulp, Blur. There was some good stuff. Like, so, like, I think I was probably looking for Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise, which was on it, and got introduced to, like, Britpop through it. So it had its place then when you could only get your hands on these songs for a reasonable price via a CD <laughs> compilation. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was like eclectic by virtue of the capitalist music industry structure being so that you just had to cobble this kind of something for everyone thing together. And like out of that sprung, like, oh, I've, you know, I never would have discovered this, but now we're just like, you know, music is everywhere. It's on oh, top. I mean, like, you know, double disc and all, Craig, Regal is all hell. But yeah, now it's just like char, 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 trend, 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 reflective. And uh, here's another example of that. And this time, even older than Ed Sheeran's. We had a way you never tell You decide if darkness knows you well That lesson of love, all that it was I need you to see You got that power over me my mind, everything I hold dear resides in those eyes. You got that power over me. My mind, the only one I know, the only one on my mind. You got that power over me. Power Over Me by Dermot Kennedy, a song that he doesn't like. <laughs> like, or at least is probably sick to death of. And it certainly isn't his go-to favourite or anything, as discussed uh, when we had him on No Encore, of course, last year. Go check out that episode. Yeah. It's just called Dermot Kennedy. It's a long chat with the man. I like him a lot. I've seen him a bunch of times. I'm a fan. And I actually do like this song. Uh, I should clarify, he doesn't like despise it or anything, but I, I know that it's not his favourite kind of Dermot Kennedy song. But it is the one that broke open all these doors for him around the world. Which probably explains its staying power, Craig, because this song was originally first released on the 16th of October, 2018. So here it is to enjoy again. (laughs) This is what I'm saying. I don't know, like, I don't know what the rationale is, but it's very much a kind of, you know, um, it's a meeting of the minds of this small team. It's them just kind of going with their gut feeling a lot of time and there's lots of human error. Like, there's no, there seems to be no rules around when stuff has to be released. They were saying, like, the last track, and in this case, it's a fucking Matt Lucas charity song. Which I did not listen to. Which I think was based... Yeah, it was, well, I listened to it once. It was based on a kind of a joke song he recorded like 20 years ago for Shooting Stars and he's just updated it to make it kind of um, coronavirus-y. So they they said they kind of would usually save that stuff for like a charity song or like if someone passed away, they'd stick on like an old song. So it'd be open to that. Um, But yeah, uh, it's it's a whole lot of nothing really. 
You've got um, looking at the track list. You've got right? two Selena Gomez songs. You've got two songs by Justin Bieber. You've got Ed Sheeran, and then Ed Sheeran appearing on a Stormzy track as well. Like it just feels like very crammed in. And uh, is Dua Lipa on here twice as well? She might be. It's like it, she is. Yeah, physicals it, on it, and uh, don't start now. Don't start now. We're both on it. It opens up with blinding lights, though. So at least they managed to predict that one in time for it to be the biggest song in the world. Yeah. It's it's also interesting the way it flows, right? So it's kind of, you can kind of see how trends in pop are going by virtue of the placing of some of the songs. So in that Guardian article, they talked about how disc two would always, you know, back in the day of being like the, the kind of rap stuff and the R&B stuff, um, you know, maybe the disparaging kind of like urban um, genre was kind of relegated to disc two and like past, say, track 20. Um and, you know, the, 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 the writer does say, okay, they took a lot of care with the rap songs and it wasn't, you know, they, they kind of made the case that they still put as much effort into that. But it was very much the kind of big pop bangers up front and the more, you know, meat and potatoes rock. But now you see on this track listing, the whole kind of clutch of um, white blokes doing like guitar anthems is like buried right on what would have been disc two. So you've got that run of like James Blunt returning at like track 34 um, with this like halfway song. And then there's like the script and Louis Tomlinson, Liam Gallagher, which is just like such a fucking Lennon parody and probably the best song of those clutch of songs. And you can see like the fucking guitar music is now relegated to this kind of like little getaway section, which is very interesting. Anything jump out for you that we should take a take a little stab of here? Yeah, so I said back in the day, like now was always good for like turning you onto something a bit new that you wouldn't have heard before. And initially I was like, okay, Blinding Lights is just the best song on this. It opens it. Uh, I'm done with it. But actually the track by Alicia Keys, which I hadn't heard before, is kind of great. Can you hear a little of it? Tell you darling something is calling drive me crazy I just can't explain it So yeah that jumped out but um apart from that like, actually, that's part of a kind of nice run. Uh, Alicia Keys, Dua Lipa, Celeste. Um, they're probably the trio of, like, best songs in a row, um, which kind of reinforces that feeling that, like, I don't know, female pop stars are probably doing more interesting stuff than white blokes with guitars at the moment. Um, but aside from that, I don't think it tells us anything about the state of music. Um, I, I do like the story around St. John, who's um, a rapper who had a song remixed by a teenager in Kazakhstan. Um, and is now having a hit with it as a result. And that kind of throws back to like the weird kind of kind of reoccurrences of songs from years back you might get on like kind of weird like joyful aberrations just popping up on now um, track listings. But yeah, I don't know. I don't think this is really necessary at this point in time. It's interesting that they've got an app. Have you checked out their app? They think that's going to like ensure the survival of the now franchise. Can't say that I have, Craig. Did you download it, did you? Extra credit for the show. I didn't download it, but I I, <laughs> I checked out what, what it's about and it's literally just all of the kind of the track listings and you can, li- it's Spotify, but restricted to songs they've put on their compilations. Oh, so great. <laughs> I hit her Spotify. <laughs> What's the point? I don't know. Like, I don't know if you got, if you've got some weird, like now fetish and apparently there is people that are huge avid collectors and like, there's probably interesting tidbits if, you know, trivia on it and stuff, but no, this is. 
It's a compilation of yesteryear. Yeah, uh, my rating is or for redundant, and we'll move on to <laughs> our main event this week. Of course, yeah. it's top five time, Craig. And uh, oh yeah, I should say that um, you know, if you are a patron of the show at the moment, uh, we are putting out a weekly playlist of the tracks that we have in our top fives. So you get ten songs every week on Spotify. It's kind of like now for the no encore version of now <laughs> it's it's yeah. you, you you definitely can't do it yourself or anthony if you listen to the show but yeah so uh every kind of like tuesday or wednesday after the show we'll put out like a written kind of recap of what we discussed on the show last week i thought craig had some very lovely words on interpol in his write-up and we also include a spotify playlist with the songs that we chose so last week was top five album openers from each of us and this week top five worst lyric songs that you may not enjoy but we will still do the playlist and uh yeah this one's fairly self-explanatory uh, for me, I kind of went with, you know, whether it's in some cases it's an entire verse, in some cases it's a couple of lines that stick out in particular. Sure. But, you know, I think with these, it's best to just go with your gut. And like I say, there's a ton of replies over on Twitter at Hanready Dave if you want to see some of the inspiration that people came up with. Uh, we'll just kick it off with my number five, which uh, pretty much was unavoidable, Craig. There was just no way I could do this list without it. Goblin, ghoul, a zombie with no conscience. Question, what do these things all have in common? Everybody knows I'm a motherfucking monster. Conquer, stop your, stop your silly nonsense. Nonsense, none of you niggas know where the swamp is. None of you niggas have seen the carnage that I've seen. I still hear things scream in my dreams. Murder, murder, and black convertibles. I kill a block, I murder the avenues. I Raping village of village women and children. Everybody wanna know what my Achilles hill is. Love, I don't get enough of it. All I get is these vampires and bloodsuckers. All I see is these niggas I made millionaires milling about, spilling their feelings in the air. It is, of course, Jay Z and his verse on Monster by Kanye West, taken from Craig's favorite album of all time, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Craig, a few weeks ago we talked about most overrated albums. You chose Lemonade by Beyonce, and in the middle of your kind of, uh, I guess, attack on the woman you noted that people <laughs> the- have people have turned around and they've kind of said that she's a better rapper than jay-z you don't agree with that well here i am to redress the balance with i mean it's comical right and it's oft-cited but there's a reason for that jay-z on features is a questionable genre unto itself and his work here on monster it's hard to pick out a an adir uh, I think for me, it's it's either just the, the barreling intro in which he thinks he's really onto something here by just listing a bunch of uh, universal horror monsters. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's got to be the, you know, uh, everyone's asking what my Achilles heel is. And of course, the love, at that which point I just want to tear my own skin off. This is terrible, but it's, it's, it's endearingly terrible, but it's terrible nonetheless. This is the thing, right? Because it, for me, it's the one blemish on an otherwise perfect album. But because it's so awful and it's become its own like meme of sorts, like it is endearing. Like I kind of get a laugh when I listen to it. It's not something that makes me skip the song. So it kind of brings it back around to like fitting into the whole kind of mythology of the album. But yeah, like it's just, it's such a kind of maximalist album. And I think this is Jay-Z's maximalist um, approach to complete like literalism, <laughs> like just listing out monsters. <laughs> and also what like, what totally scuppers him every time when he like drops clangers these days is he still obviously has like the air of like invincibility. Like he still has the bravado. 
So, you know, when he comes on features, another one, one I always think of is like Biking Frank Ocean, where he's just like, goes round, comes round. And then he's kind of riffing on cycle and like things being in cycles and like bicycle. And you're like, this is not working, mate. You sound like you're having a breakdown. <laughs> but he thinks he's like really vibing and onto something. Um, my favourite, my favourite Jay-Z clanger, which almost made it for me, is on a song called Already Home. Where he says, what the fuck, I'm an animal, half man, half mammal. <laughs> and I always go, dude, <laughs> gotta break his <it>, yeah. <laughs> We're all mammals, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, good man hove. No, great, precisely. Great like, like it is, it is that thing of like, like you have to be, you know, it has to be a bravado moment, especially when this one is kind of the microphones being tossed around. It would be weird if he came in with a weird meekness to it. So he's got to swing for the fences and he does, but it's swinging for the fences with material that is so bad and so off that you're just like, no, Paul, you're somehow making this even fucking worse. I've said before as well that like Umbrella by Rihanna, if you cut out that first 30 seconds, it's a five star song. But with him attached to it, it's taken it down to a three and a half. So, OK, that's my number five out of the way. It would have been egregious if it wasn't there. So it's, it's out of the way. We can Yeah, move on. yeah. I thought that might crop up. Uh, really good choice. Um, okay, so my number five. One excuse that's kind of given for like piss poor lyrics is that like a shirt, like it fits with the melody, like it works with the vibe. Not the case here. Are like on countless, countless occasions for like this band. They're a great, great band. They're seminal. They've never gone above like mediocre on the word front. Um, they've like an abominable record. Here's one of the highlights from that career. Yeah, New Order, Bernard Sumner. <laughs> what were you thinking, mate? Uh, the song is sooner than you think. It's a real low light from Low Life. Um, and yeah, just like how awkward his wording is. It's him trying to crowbar in lyrics that shouldn't exist in the first place. Your country is a wonderful place. It pales my England into disgrace. To buy a drink that is so much more reasonable, I think I'll go there when it gets seasonable. <laughs> What is he doing? Like, so the problem with New Order is... Okay, so New Order obviously uh, rose out of the ashes of Joy Division and they lost Ian Curtis, who is, you know, was a doomed um, talent, a gothic kind of poetic, talented lyricist. You couldn't replace them, right? So fair play to them. They kind of, they regrouped and... Barney said, listen, I'll, I'll take over as frontman. I'll write the lyrics. We maybe won't focus on them so much. And they went on to create, of course, some of the best music of all time. But they really are that band where they have so many incredible songs that are almost ruined by his cringy, cringy lyrics. Um, Love v- Vigilantes is another one that stands out for me where he decides, anytime he decides to do like a concept song, you're like, okay, we're fucked, right? We're absolutely fucked because he can't pull it together whatsoever. 
So on this song, he's like talking about a Vietnamese soldier, uh, or sorry, a soldier in Vietnam coming back from the war. And spoiler alert, turns out he's already dead. <laughs> and you've got this terrible cro- closing verse where he's like, I walked through the door and my wife, she lay upon the floor and with tears, her eyes were sore. I did not know why. Blah, 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 blah. That said, that, um, he saw the telegram that said I was a brave, brave man, but that I was dead. <laughs> And the melody is so good. It's like such an incredible song. It's just like, why are you singing these words? Wow, he was a, oh, incredible. I'm not Shyamalan before his time. Uh, yeah, with your intro there, I was like, yeah, this is going to be New Order. There's no question. And uh, I must yeah. confess, I mean, I, I thought you might have gone for, you know, express yourself, create the space. You know you can win. Don't give up the chase of World in Motion. No? Yeah, which I believe was written by John Barnes, right? The entire I thing. Think, I thought I think his he ver- wrote it himself. <laughs> Fuck the whole song. Oh no, 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 sorry. Oh sorry. Well, maybe he I think he did the express yourself bit, right? Yeah. No, maybe but, I'm wrong. No, but this is like no, the start that's the start of the song, but like of oh, course, sorry. Like, and okay, don't okay. forget other classic football lyrics uh, of an alien just learning what football is when they say stuff like <laughs> beat the man, take him on. Yeah, yeah. You never give up. It's one on one. Such a good song. I want to hear it right now. But anyway, yeah, like John Barnes, Barnes rap is like his first time writing a rap and it's not good, but it's on par with any of New Order's other lyrics. All right. Fair enough. Great choice. And for me, an oft reference one on this show, finally getting its uh, 15 seconds of fame. Let's do it. Lazara and Taking Back Sunday what would I do without you uh, the pinnacle of oh. lyrics for me um, I've often referenced a whole bunch of others you could have your Blink 182s you could have uh, These Knuckles Break Before They Bleed a lyric on an Emery song a song called Walls which is incidentally a bit of a belter but it had to be the Kings didn't it? it had to be Taken Back Sunday and You're So Last Summer taken from uh, Tell All Your Friends I believe which turned 20 and I went to that anniversary gig about a year ago so I was there in the rafters screaming this along and I mean come on I think you're on to a winner right you're coming out of that chorus and you get the line where it's i'd never lie to you but it's not i'd never lie to you it's i'd never lie to you it's just like, like, that, like i know insane yeah inflection the vocal adds to the awfulness for but it's, sure but it's it, it, the pinnacle here the the spotlight lyric of course the truth is you could slip my throat and with my one last gasping breath i'd apologize for bleeding on your shirt it's incredible yeah i mean I know in recent in recent months I've kind of um, ragged a bit on My Chemical Romance. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan. I think they're overrated. They have some good stuff. But like fair play to them for like walking that line of, you know, big hearted emo lyrics and trying to be a bit wry and like getting away with it most of the time because this is what happens when it goes wrong. Dreadfully, dreadfully wrong. And there's this thing with emo where when you get into this kind of lyrical territory, you're right next door to Twee. It just becomes Twee as feck. They're not an emo band, but um, Death Cab for Cutie were maybe going to feature for me as well because it's like, it's trying to do clever things whilst also being like very open and emotional and it just ends up being embarrassing as all hell. Dreadful. (laughs) 
yeah, real, real, real quick. I don't it's disagree. It's a struggle to listen to that kind of stuff for me. I don't, like, I, I, I don't disagree with anything that you've said. I still like it. What have you got up next? <laughs> All right, my number four. Um, it could have been swapped out for a song that's particularly bad for Irish ears, but this one is bad for the world, right? Because this is so ubiquitous, it's it skeeves me out. I feel violated by this song and it spawned further awfulness that we talked about earlier in this episode. It's masquerading as sexiness. David, the club isn't the best place to find a lover. So the pub is where I go. I'm in love with your body. Every day discovering something brand new. I'm in love with the shape of you. When we came, we let the story begin. We're going out on our first date. You and me are thrifty, so go all you can eat. Fill up your bag and I fill up the plate. We talk for hours and hours about the sweet and the sour And how your family's doing okay And leaving, getting a taxi Kissing the backseat Tell the driver, make the radio play And I'm singing like, girl, you know Ed Sheeran there, <laughs> with Shape of You um, An aberration on many different accounts, I think Because it's both trying to be like a sexy Ed Sheeran song Which, because of the success of this, he's doing time and time again but it also does that, like, yeah, I'm a man of the people thing, where he's talking about being thrifty. But it also, like, whilst doing that kind of patronizing, like, weirdly domineering thing of, like, you know what, you're actually a bit rubbish, girl, but you're adorable. Um, yeah, like, the fucking Chinese food in the handbag? What's that about? <laughs> the fucking talking about, about the sweet and the sour? What an awful pun. Don't get me started on fucking bed sheets. My bed sheets smell like you, which is, I know it's been much discussed, but like clearly the choice of the word bed sheets, which is just such a weird, like kind of English selection of a word, clearly put in there because like he needed that extra syllable for the melody. It's like my bed, who would ever say my bed sheets smell like you? What even is that smell he's going for? Um, apparently she's handmade for somebody like him. I don't know if he had jungle fever at this stage. I don't know what that's about. It's just, he's discovering something new every day. It sounds weirdly medical. Um, it's awful, 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 all the way through. Is this the one that he wrote for Rihanna and she was like, thanks, but no thanks? Yes. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. God bless Rihanna. His, uh... And she's worked with Jay-Z. <laughs> It's again, it's cockiness, isn't it? It's the, it's the hubris, it's the bravado, but it's also one of the biggest songs in the fucking world that people have yeah, ripped just, the melody so from mu- for the last so two years. So, I don't yeah, know. yeah. Joke's on us, I think. Um, did you interview him, or am I imagining that? I did a phoner with him years back. It was prior to this, um, so I didn't have to pretend I liked this album. Um, but yeah, he was a perfectly pleasant dude. Um, I can't even remember what we talked about. It was, I think it was the Multiply album. And it was it was about people he was working with and he talked a bit about how it was grand to smoke hash. And I was like, oh great, that's the kind of quote that might be usable. It was a, like it was one of those like he seemed knackered after at the end of a press tour thing. It was like a fifteen minute phone job and I don't think either of us wanted to be there. But he seems nice. I don't know. Oh, confirmed nice guy, is it, yeah? That's where you're yeah, going with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah Read I, into like, that what you will. <laughs> I, I I I really can't add much more, Craig. I mean it's Ed Sheeran's kind of fish in a barrel, I agree with you once again. But uh, yeah, like you could have picked anything, really, I feel. He's not good at the old lyrics. Any of his stuff. Um, so for me, for... Uh, oh no, go on, if you have more, please. Uh, I'm, I'm here to hear it. No, it, it's, that he, it's that he's not great at the old lyrics, but also when he tries to 
this is this kind of stuff is like fine and passable when he's writing for uh, Justin Bieber. We've talked about this before, or someone that can kind of sell the sexiness stuff. But now he's completely like because of the success of this, he thinks he can sing these lines himself and sound believable, and it just kind of adds an extra dimension of crap to it. But I wish him well. Sure, yeah. <laughs> In I this mean, economy, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, like, it's a time to wish people well. So, uh, for me, yes, for my uh, for my third entry here, I, I've had a real fucking Sophie's Choice situation right up until the point, like literally right now. Producer Adam is like, "Would you just fucking pick one?" So I'm gonna just fucking oh, yeah. pick one. I'm gonna do it right. So there's two options here. And one of them is a collaboration effort, uh, a very kind of infamous one that did not really work on any level whatsoever. Uh, so bad that one of the, the people involved is now no longer with us, uh, presumably related out of shame. As regards the actual uh, <laughs> song I'm going to... Uh, it passed away naturally, I just want to say. Um, fucking as for the song I'm going to pick, though, I'm going to pick the lads on their own in their element at a time when they were rebuilding their career. And what would come out of it was um, a whole album's... Uh, worth of horrendous lyrics once again much like jay-z you can't look past this one hard to pick just one element of it but i did my best and here it is truth in really glad we got that snare drum in there it is of course metallica the song is purify the album is of course saint anger or as our good friend carlo calls it stanger um <laughs> an exceptional piece of work that spawned one of the great music documentaries in the form of some kind of monster um of course i was i was referencing their collaboration with lou reed which i chose lou reed to, yeah i, I thought you'd go for lulu that. I, I the way i waited up right and i was like lulu is this in, insane doomed art project that feels like That's something it's avant-garde kind <laughs> yeah, of yeah yeah right? <laughs> uh, you're experiencing something with it that's approximating art at least and Lou Reed always had that thing of like even when he did absolute rubbish he was so convincing that he was really into it that you're like I remember Lou Reed was like this is the best thing I've ever done <laughs> we're like, okay, are we missing some layers of this or something so yeah I totally get why you went with this selection yeah and this is purify I mean like uh, it's it's just the, the lyrics on paper truth and dare peeling back the skin acid wash ghost white ultra clean want to be skeleton <laughs> like uh, all delivered uh, with just misplaced confidence by james hadfield i mean there's a moment in that documentary where they're going through lyrics and they're basically teaching him how to write lyrics at, at that stage of his career and they come up with some kind of monster i'm nominating the entire album um, an album that, of course, I still have a weird soft spot for, some kind of strange so- Stockholm Syndrome beast that lives within the beast lives yeah. within, presumably a Metallica song in and of itself. And ultimately, <laughs> it's just like insane stretched out track after insane stretched out track. There is a good album in here. They eventually would make a good album with Hardwired to Self-Destruct that we, you and I are both fond of, even though that is also too long. It's just really all over the shop and kind of it's it, it's kind of an out of control train that you just can't you you can't stop it it's like they've they've gone down this path it's it's pure they're all over the place in their personal lives and lyrically james hatfield is not known for good lyrics so it might be a bit no mean here to pick on him but like this is just next level 
It is because even I remember a couple of years ago going back to Master of Puppets after not hearing it for for years and years, and I remember the first time I heard Master of Puppets, the whole album, as like a teenager, and these kind of like deep seeming lyrics about like war and addiction and stuff. And at the time, I was like, "Oh shit, yeah!" They, like these are this is great. Like they're speaking a lot to the human condition. And when you revisit them, they're just so juvenile, and like you move on while still noting that the the music is absolutely sensational back in the eighties, but. They kind of never did. Uh, Perel James never really developed as a lyricist. Um, and obviously the there's, there's distractions within the band and outside didn't really help matters. Um, yeah, misplaced confidence is definitely the word. It's kind of like or the term. It is like that Jay-Z thing. He's a beekeeper now, isn't he? So I don't know if that's good or bad when you're a beekeeper to have misplaced confidence. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is... This is, <laughs> this is so cartoonish and... Yeah, you're getting lost in thought there, Craig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure it's even worthy of it. I will say this though: I challenge, <laughs> I challenge our listeners to go and throw on Saint Anger and just see how long you last. Just see, just see how long you can. Oh you can stick my with god, it. those drums are so abysmal. I was actually, I was lost in thought thinking of um, Hardware to Self Destruct and how, yeah, that is a return to form because musically it's great, but of course, from the like album title down, the lyrics are rubbish as well. Like. Hard word to self destruct. Like <laughs> at least they kind of got back in on the joke at that point. But here they're super serious. Oh yeah, that's the problem. Yeah, this is an earnest record. This is again to throw back to that documentary. They have a moment where their cartoon character therapist gives them the mission statement. They have a fucking mission statement for the album, and it's we we come now to write the album of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> Even the phrasing of that, we come now. <laughs> I'm madly in anger with you, Craig. What do you got up next? for me oh my god all right okay so one of uh the problems with my third place choice is that no one knows what it means but some people have argued that it's provocative and it gets the people going it's killers isn't it oh it's not i'ma make 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 you scream make you scream make you scream because of my heart 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 my lovely lady lumps check it out I met a girl down at the disco. She said, hey, 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 yeah, let's go. I could be your baby. You could be my honey. Let's spend time, not money, and mix your milk with my cocoa puff. Uh, milky, milky cocoa. Uh, disgusting. Fucking Jesus vile. Christ. I'm so sorry that clip was so long. That was awful. That's Black Eyed Peas with my humps. Um, yeah, bunch of scumbags. <laughs> <laughs> also, also, hang on. It raises the question here, because my, my attitude towards this was, I'm not picking any novelty acts. Do we think the Black Eyed yeah. Peas are a novelty act? I kind of feel like this stage they certainly were. Well, they're a they're a kind of carefree pop group, right? And like clearly because like a lot of dance music, the lyrics don't really matter. But they insist on like pulling together actual verses and like putting some emphasis on them. And clearly the concept of this song is a large part of what like a large part of its makeup, right? And also didn't Black Eyed Peas, I don't know too much about them, but like Prior to Fergie, uh, do it? He, I think they were quite like a, fucking says in every smoking area in every pub in the world. They were actually really good until Fergie came along. Well, this is the thing I I don't know because I I never really listened to them. But by all accounts, they at least they tried to do like some kind of like conscious rap stuff. So this was a weird, uh, like turn of events for them. Anyway, um, I do think there might be a chance Will I Am is putting this together some weird kind of postmodern experiment. Because remember, he was he had that weird like um set of interview criteria a couple of years ago the journalists were being instructed on how they should talk to him when he was promoting that like the future idea factory like he seems like a slightly strange dude so i wonder 
is he aware of how naff all of this is? I, I hate this song so much, right? Because the terminology is just nauseating. It's, it's again, like trying to be sexy, but like, look, looking at my lump, <laughs> my lump <laughs> sounds like some kind of gross. I don't know. And then you have Will I Am, like, maybe stealing the show with his, like, utter blase shite as he rolls in with, like, I met a girl down at the disco. She said, hey, 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 let's go. He has to, like, cram in some filler haze because he can't, like, complete the line. And he does that time and again on all their songs. They have, like, I got a feeling that has that, like, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Saturday and Sunday thing, which is just infuriating. I always felt that that was actually a complex commentary on club life. <laughs> how you have a Saturday, but then of course there's a whole other day on top of that when you're getting ready to go out, you're going out to the nightclub, there's an after nightclub, there's an after party and it's a, you lose track of time, it becomes a vortex of socialising and debauchery and who knows where you're going to end Maybe up. You're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Quite sophisticated is what I would say. I see your point. Um, one last point I will make on the Black Eyed Peas and Fergie in particular is a lot of their songs feature like spelling, right? Like the alphabet, stuff just being spelled out loud. And I'm not going to, I didn't pick this because I'm not going to be like spelling or grammar police. But you know the Fergie song Fergalicious? Who doesn't? Do you remember Fergalicious? Yeah. So, Will I Am yet again has an insistent refrain in the background of Fergalicious, right? Where he spells out tasty. And he spells it T to the A to the S-T-E-Y, girl, you tasty. He misspells tasty over and over again in that song. That's the Black Eyed Peas. I'll close with two things about the Black Eyed Peas. I will say, if you want to have a really fun time, go onto YouTube and look up Black Eyed Peas X Factor, the time dirty bit. And the drop in that song is one of the funniest things you'll ever see. And second of all is I still haven't read the, um, I'm sure, unputdownable autobiography by MC Taboo, which is called Fallen Up, Keep It On The Positive. But one of these days, Craig, <laughs> one of these days I'm going to do it. One of these days. But for now, into my silver medal for this week. And so this is a track, I mean, like... This is one of those bands where they probably would have popped up on a Now compilation, on a Top 30 hit situation. And then, you know, cool, thanks lads, appreciate that, even even though it was dreadful. Hope I never see you again. Ten years or so pass and all of a sudden, somehow they're back with a song that may have been even bigger. Let's do it. Seriously, like a, a multi-vehicle crash of a song. It's just, it, where do you even begin? There is a danger with picking out the worst lyrics to just pick a bad song. Um, with this one, I think you get everything, really. Because the delivery, the vocals, I mean, are just a disgrace. But like, the way you can <laughs> cut a rug, watching you is the only drug I need. So gangster, I'm so thug. And then, of course, the chorus, Hey Soul Sister, Ain't That Mr. Mr. on the radio. This, of course, is Hey Soul Sister by Train. Um, yeah. The song also features, like, the opening lyrics to this fucking jingle jangle ukulele 
bullshit number uh, is like your lipstick stains on the front lobe of my left side brains. I knew I wouldn't forget you. And so I let you go and blow my mind. It's really bad. I do have to give um, them props for rhyming uh, fairy, you know, with stereo. I thought that was quite clever <laughs> uh, in the chorus. <laughs> They're a horrible band. Drops of Jupiter, I actually kind of like because it's a bit of a tune. But Sorry? even that has like clangers galore in it. Yeah, Drops of Jupiter. Really? No, you're not a fan? Oh. I mean, I'm not listening to it fucking constantly, but if it comes on, I'm not turning it off, no. Do you have on the same playlist that you'd have, like, Santana Smooth on there, or, like, that kind of <laughs> turn-of-the-century summer jams? <laughs> um, I think Santana's Smooth is far, far superior. But, um, yeah, I mean, like, the, yeah, the, the tune is so irritating to Hey Soul Sister. I do have a problem as well with the usage of the term Soul Sister. Like, he wrote this about his new missus, right? And he's just, like, the whitest dude going. And it just seems like a weird term to be using for your new lover. I don't know. There's something odd about it. Uh, I don't like it. He's not gangsta. <laughs> that first verse, by the way, like, it, like it continues. And it has a Sheeran-esque moment where he says, uh, the smell of you in every single dream I dream. That's fucking serial killer shit. It is. It is. Um, People love this. You know man. much of their stuff. No, I really don't. Did they only have two hits? Like, I, I feel like they're one of those <laughs> bands that were like probably big, bigger in the states. Do you know what I mean? Massive we don't in the know states, much yeah, of the back catalog. Huge. Yeah. Um, these you got like two songs. These are the, the, the only two songs I know, but I guarantee you they're massive. I guarantee you that this song isn't played at every wedding forever. So apparently, like they've been active since like 1993 to 2006, and then 2009 to present. So they actually did hang it up, but no, they came back. Uh, the album in 2009 was called Save Me San Francisco was their fifth album Hey Soul Sister arrived in the summer of 2009 Uh, and I mean it's still everywhere 11 years later I don't quite understand it it's um, like it's just become this huge fucking thing I don't get it yeah I'm on I'm on the Wikipedia and um, they're talking about what the lyrics mean and apparently it was written about Burning Man Um, they'd never been but yeah, Pat Mona had never been to Burning Man, uh, but he had an image in his head of what it must be like, all these beautiful <laughs> women dancing around the fire. That was the imagery he conjured up when he was writing the lyrics to Hey Soul Sister. <laughs> so imaginary women dancing around the fire at Burning Man. They've released 10 albums? His 10 of them? What the fuck? Of course. Of course. Oh my God. This is, this is just upsetting. And their last album was in 2017. So we're due. <laughs> Weren't you a train wreck? <laughs> All right, take me away from the this. end of the world. Take okay, me away from this nightmare. My number two. Um, okay, this is another nightmare, um, but it's a lighthearted kind of nightmare. I think this one has uh, won kind of like awards for being lyrically awful. Like it seemed really obvious, so I wasn't going to pick it, but then I went back to it and I burst out laughing. So that was enough for me. Take it away, Desiree. I'm afraid of the dark, especially when I'm in a park and there's no one else around. I get the shivers I don't want to see a ghost It's a sight that I fear most I'd rather have a piece of toast Watch the evening news <laughs> So <night>. stupid <laughs> Oh, it's so oh, stupid Yeah, it's, it's so right there with dumb. life what It's about her fear of ghosts <laughs> But also the wider song is about life like that's a relatable thing i guess i'd rather have a piece of toast where does that come from well toast is awesome like Like, it's like bread's amazing it is it is but she's doing it whilst watching the evening news 
that wouldn't be a natural time you'd be having a piece of toast, right? The evening news. Craig, I'm kind like, of also upset that... There's no, like, you need to break down these weird, archaic constructions of what a person should and shouldn't be. <laughs> if you want to have toast Fine, at Desiree, have, one have in the morning... Have your in the evening. Work away. I'm upset that she didn't complete the rhyme of that verse and say, I'd rather have a piece of toast and read the evening post. Because she just trails off with and watch the evening news. She doesn't complete the verse whatsoever. That's my main problem with this. Verse two is about her being a suspicious girl. Uh, sorry, a superstitious girl. She doesn't walk under ladders. Then she goes on to say she'll take a dare, take you up on a dare anytime, anywhere. Bungee jumping, I don't care. And then it ends with her saying, if you want to fly around the world in a beautiful balloon, just do it. Which is like a good sentiment. It's an upbeat song. She seems happy in the video. I wish her well. Um, but my God, the construction of this lyrically is just something else. Yeah, this one was cited several times when I put out the call on Twitter. And it was, I was it, yeah. But it was funny because people kept coming along and saying like, here you go, this will blow your... And I'm like, lads, this is it. first of all, like five people I'm, have already sent this. I've lived and this second song. Second of all, I knew... I, I, when this song was out, I heard it on the fucking radio. <laughs> like, I mean, there was no internet. There was no like cabal of forum discussion. Everyone some, somehow collectively as a society just knew. You knew by walking down the street and looking at somebody that they'd heard Desiree Life and they were like, this is out of control crazy. Although I guarantee you, Craig, there's probably like a, six or seven or nine fucking think pieces out there being like, well, actually, it's actually a very good song. Yeah, she had the, she had a hit previously with "You Gotta Be," which is the same kind of thematic thing of like, um, you know, be, be yourself in this Rise world and go it, out yeah. there and live your life to the full. But actually, the lyrics that are like they make sense at least. Good song. She just yeah, but like I don't know what happened here. I don't know if she had a different collaborator. I don't know. Um, but outstandingly awful. Life happened, Craig. David. Life happened. And as for Your my number, number one, one this week. Yeah. So this is, a, I, I've said before, I've, I've referenced my own personal Now collection from Hell, the, you know, the album that would soundtrack me in the endless elevator to Hell. Um, and the, how there are certain songs reserved for that list. This song is in there without question, both in its delivery and its lyrical content. When I worked in Extra Vision back in the day, we only had one music channel available to our ears and it was The Box. Every now and then you would get the likes of Green Day, Wake Me Up When September Ends, My Chemical Romance, I'm Not Okay, I Promise. You get a bit of slow jams going on every now and then. Like, very, very rare kind of bolts from the blue. Generally, you are stuck with chart terribleness. And this one, from approximately 2004, I want to say, still haunts me to this day, Craig. And here we go. Natasha Bedingfield there. The answer to the question, can we actually get worse somehow than Daniel Bedingfield? She, of course, of these words, fame. Uh, and of course, she provided the theme tune to The Hills with Unwritten, which is also not a great song and has that kind of annoying arrogance to it, but it's better than this. I mean, it's it's one thing to have a really annoying melody that is designed to be like a drill going through your brain, uh, which is what this is. It's quite another to dare. <laughs> have the cavalier laissez-faire attitude to strut along and throw out a line like read some Byron, Shelley and Keats 
recited it <laughs> over a hip-hop beat. I'm having trouble saying what I mean with dead poets and drum machines. And then we get the Quite Fontaine's DC. We get, um. <laughs> we get the uh, meta line of uh, how she had some studio time booked, struggled to find the killer hook. And it's like, oh, it's it's that, is it? You're writing about the writing process and you're doing it in this kind of sunshine lilt and braying it at me i just really really don't like this one this was another fucking big hit of course and it was inescapable around that time it was just always on and i kind of had that weird shock reaction to it when i would hear those kind of intro kind of staples of the song and i was just like i've got to get out of this room i can't hack it nails on chalkboard i hate it i hate it so much yeah I hate it, Craig. It's, it's kind of the I, con- it. I know i hate it i really hate this song as well um i really hate it as well <laughs> it's the concept that really gets me though because it's like it's such it speaks to such like a dirt of imagination of uh, as like a songwriter where it's just like okay this song will be about writing a song it'll just be about the process it always feels like the i've got nothing so i'll just kind of be a bit meta or something it's very like here's my first song um I remember Noel Gallagher always slagging Liam Gallagher over like when he started writing songs they would always be very literal and very like like one of Liam's songs just opens with here's the song <laughs> just like th- that kind of approach of just being so obvious and yeah yeah the Byron Shelley and Keats thing just elevates it even further um I, what became of Natasha and Daniel do we know are they probably they probably they're from New Zealand right they must be on some like X Factor New Zealand. Well, I know that she uh, she followed the No Encore Twitter account a while ago, and I was like, "That's interesting." Um, she's English, okay. by the way. They're English, aren't they? Um, oh, they're English. Yeah, they're Why English, did they? Yeah. Oh, and okay. but yeah, it was one of the things where it's like, okay, fair enough. That's clearly like a boss that has followed us. She had an album out last year called Roll with Me. It was her fourth album, and let's see how it did, shall we? As I scroll down on the old. Commercial performance debuted at number 36 on the US Billboard Independent Albums chart. I think her um, big time commercial days are over. She worked with Linda Perry, of course, everyone's favourite songwriter, Linda Perry. <laughs> I could have picked oh What's God. Up by Four Non Blondes. Yes. <laughs> One of the worst so songs. So annoying. Ever. I totally forgot about that. That probably should have been in my list. I hate that song. Yeah. Instead of, uh, what else do you have for me then this week? I'm pretty much. Do you want to hear my number one? Yeah, I can't really espouse any more like words. Natasha Bedenfield took them all, so. <laughs> okay, um, I could have gone with a number of songs that really annoyed me and vented some more. Um, but actually, my number one, I think, wins hands down. But it does fill me with pure joy. It's um utterly gormless. It's innocent. It's it's laden with like baffling non sequiturs, and like attempts at rhymes from someone who doesn't seem to grasp the concept of rhyming. It's a throwback summer hit. Chinese food makes me sick. Dave, here's my number one. Like a hornet, Billy Shakespeare wrote a whole bunch of sonnets. Call me Willie Whistle because I can't speak, baby. Something in your eyes went and drove me crazy. Now I can't forget you and it makes me mad. Left one day and never came back. Stayed all summer then went back home. Macaulay Culkin wasn't home alone. Deep in love, but now we ain't speaking. Michael J. Fox was Alex P. Keaton. When I met you, I said my name is Rich. You look like a girl from Abercrombie and Fitch. New kids on the block had a bunch of hits. Chinese food makes me sick. And I think it's fly when girls stop by for the summer. For the summer. I like girls that wear Abercrombie and Fitch. I take like so many references to Abercrombie and Fitch. Um, 
Yeah, that's LFO, um, which stood for Light Funky Ones um, and Summer Girls, which was a huge hit in the summer of 1999. Nostalgic for a time that I'm not sure quite what. Like, there's lots of references dotted throughout this song. New Kids on the Block. It seems to be 80s, but then there's like a reference to Home Alone, which is like obviously a Christmas film in 1990. It's also your favourite film uh, of all time, of any genre, of any seasonal influence whatsoever. So it must especially rattle you up to hear it <laughs> misreferenced in this song. Yeah, and when, it's tried, when he's trying to rhyme alone with home from the previous line. Um, and it's just like a couple of lines before you get that incredible Michael J. Fox was Alex P. Keaton. Um, yeah, um, so LFO were... I kind of, they were a boy band essentially, right? So they're a bunch of mass heads. They're kind of from close to Boston, but they were very indebted to hip hop of the time. Uh, there's lots of references to Beastie Boys in this one. They clearly wanted to be respected, well regarded. This is clearly a bit playful, right? But like when it, it just totally blew up, and um, the lead singer was like, "Okay, I might have lost that Chinese food makes me sick line." Um, don't know what I was thinking with that one, and it's just so awkward. It doesn't work at all. And yet somehow it's incessant. It's been stuck in my head all week. And actually, as, as a group of guys, um, they've had a lot of um, misfortune. Um, I think the lead singer has passed away a couple of years ago. Um, the second kind of main dude passed away as well. They had kind of um, really awful battles with cancer and stuff. Um, I'm glad this exists. It makes me happy because it's just so crap, particularly when you combine it with the video, which is just like these kind of boy bandy type fellas hanging out on the pier with all these like Abercrombie and Fitch, like gormless gobshites. <laughs> it's so cheesy. It's so awful, but it's like kind of sweet. Like the lyrics are kind of sweet. Um, <laughs> like what's the, oh yeah. The, like the line, there was a good man named Paul Revere. I feel much better, baby, when you're near. <laughs> it's just like... <laughs> How can you hate that? It they're the worst lyrics of all time, but the world is all the better for it. I think that was a roller coaster, Craig, and it was a roller coaster of a top yeah. five this week. Thank you very, very much. Who knows what we'll get up to next Thank week? Because we've yet to decide it. But uh, this episode of No Encore was engineered by our sonic architect Adam Shanahan. Uh, of course, as I noted, Patreon.com/slash No Encore if you want to support the show. In the other listening section, I was listening to the new Haley Williams album, Petals for Armor. It's very, very good. She's been through the ringer. Um, so she basically this is like it, it's kind of like the time that Pixies did it where they released like three EPs and then when the third one came out that completed the album it was the same thing for her uh, the third EP arrived last Friday completing the record and it's really really good um, she's been through an awful lot in her personal life and you know professional life as well and it's it really does shine in the writing I mean I've kind of said it on the show a whole okay. bunch that happiness tends to numb an artist um, so if you're going into the Hayley Williams album expecting some kind of just paramour greatest hits affair it isn't the case whatsoever it's very very good I was really impressed by it uh, a few hours before we recorded the show LP put up his fantastic Damage album on streaming platforms for the first time ever and it's a fucking amazing record. Go check that out if you never have. I presume he's doing that in advance of Run the Jewels announcing that their fourth record will be coming out in June. I hold that hope for that even though I thought the last one was quite mediocre. Um... On the Dave Goes Back to New Metal albums a week, uh, or front this week, I went to American Head Charge's second album, The Feeding, which unfortunately is not on Spotify, so you got to get that one on YouTube. 
Uh, apart from that, uh, I've been listening to a lot of kind of music scores, kind of that kind of stuff, because upcoming No Popcorn. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah, going to be recording a new No Popcorn next week, which will be The Assassination of Jesse James by the Carrot Robert Ford versus There Will oh, Be Blood. Incredible film. So I love it. The music as oh, well. The music is so just good. Stunner. So I've listened to those scores as well. In terms of Irish music, uh, shouts to Swimmers Jackson. He put out a new record called Murmurations. Participant has a new song out called Oh No, Give Up, both worth checking out. And that kind of does it for me, apart from just my general audio ramblings. What have you got, Craig? Yeah, I've been listening to Murmurations. Uh, it's a beautiful vibe. Um, it was kind of working for Backgarden Sunshine for me as well. So I've been listening to that quite a bit. I'm still, I know I said, like I, I was kind of suggesting we go for Kalani. In the end, I didn't even listen to that album. So maybe we should have gone Hayley Williams. Um, but other than that, I'm like, I'm still on my Steely Dan buzz, man. It's it's Yacht Rock all the way. I'm working through the albums. It feels... Um, like a big undertaking, but I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying sinking into becoming the kind of music lover that talks a lot about, oh, this is really good musicianship. Oh, the production on this is quite good. I'm becoming this totally different person, but I like it. It's comfortable. It's good. Steely Dan are amazing. I'm converted. Well, the best thing is that you're confined. You can't be bothering anybody in beer gardens with this kind of talk. So, <laughs> you know, you're you're stuck. Uh, I should also note as well, of course, that as of this podcast dropping, a brand new single from Nilo will be out in the world called Heart Food for Hard Times. Uh, Nilo, of course, is Whoop. a rising, prolific Irish rapper and very much a friend of the show. He has described this one as a big hug of a song just when you need it most and it, it contains his staples so far that kind of really kind of easy breezy loose but somehow still like wrench tight cadence that he has with a jazz inflection if you're a fan of what you heard from Nilo so far it's definitely worth checking out so that's the show for this week that's no encore for this week we will be back next Friday of course uh, Craig David keep on yacht rocking yeah <laughs> <laughs> I intend to. I know. All right. My name is David William Hanready. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. Back next week. Love you. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Peacock is streaming your favorite shows, movies, live sports, breaking news, exclusive originals, and every live WWE pay-per-view. It's The Office, Chrisley Knows Best, and Peacock original shows like Funky Brewster. Peacock, watch for free, upgrade for more. Stream now at PeacockTV.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.